Hey everyone, welcome to Poetry Says. This is my last interview from New York before I come home to Melbourne and I had a lovely chat with my new friend Molly Silverstein. I met Molly in a poetry workshop here and interestingly enough she also chose to talk about Maggie Nelson who Trisha Dearborn talked about in my interview with her a few weeks ago. So it's really interesting to see where these two conversations kind of cross over and that two completely different people are having similar responses to Maggie Nelson's work. And we also talk a little bit about my favorite topic, how to find time for writing. And yeah, I think you'll really love this poem. It's called The Mute Story of November, and I'll link to it if you want to have a read before we dive in. about Maggie Nelson is she's from the US yes and she's written this book about her life isn't she married to a man who transitioned to become a woman yeah so she's married to a gender queer person mm-hmm. um, and the book she wrote Argonauts is kind of about a lot of different things about queer theory and theory and love and life but it's focuses on what it's like to love somebody who's not doesn't fit into a normative gender that's so cool yeah sounds amazing fantastic so that's yeah it's one of her uh like non-fiction prose books but she's very poetic even in those yeah right yeah it's sort of from what i was reading it's kind of like not it's not like a straight um this is my life story kind of thing like does it have poetry and stuff in it or it's um it's kind of broken up into little pieces Mm -hmm. um and they're not poems they're little snippets about um theorists she likes um the political moment Mm -hmm. her personal life her mother her son i'm gonna read this book it's it's fantastic yeah right yeah and is she like is she kind of a West Coasty type writer? Um, or? Yeah, well, she lives in the West Coast, uh, but I know she studied in New York. Okay. For her masters, mm-hmm. um, so I, she wrote uh, this poetry book before Argonauts called something bright than holes. Oh yes, that was the one I was talking to. Oh yeah. Trisha about it's last week. So night. good, and yeah. it, there's um, a very long narrative poem that takes place over like several iterations that's all about the Gowanus Canal. That was the one she mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I this think, poem's well, obviously this... affected a lot of people. Yeah. She's, I, what I think is um, interesting and like easy to connect with about Maggie Nelson is that she kind of, all of her poems are kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. So like, you really get a sense of who she is as a person. Yeah they're very warm and like easy to connect with but also she's a theorist so she's thinking about all these different things yeah right so she's not hiding very much or anything seem like it but Mm. who knows yeah well i suppose that's that's always the question isn't it it's like are you just are you giving me 80 percent right and there's this other 20 percent of like stuff that's off limits right i always wonder that i always feel like with maggie nelson it's the theory that's where she's hiding is she's Mm. kind of like intellectualizing her life but then she kind of delves right back into the personal in very touching ways Mm. and her emotions kind of take over yeah right 
I've got to read more of his stuff. Yeah. With the poem that we looked at um, last week is called Green. Mm. Um, and it's kind of like her meeting this guy who is saying, you know, I'm going to be a shitty boyfriend. And she's like, well, I'll be the judge of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for anything about a shitty boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a pretty great subject matter. Pretty yeah. endless subject matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the poem that you have brought yes. today, what is it called? It's called The Mute Story of November. What a title. Yeah. It's pretty great. And it's actually from something bright than holes as well. But cool. I think from a different part. God, you could like leave it there with the title. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Do you want to read maybe some bits or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah let me find some. Let me see what would be. The part about this poem that I like the most is the ending. So okay, maybe cool. I'll read somewhere close to there. So what's happened so far in the, in the poem? Well, who knows, really, in this poem. Um, so it's not quite so narrative. It's, as the other this stuff. is not, yeah, it's, it's not narrative, but I would say there's a, a very strong eye in this poem. So it really is painting her as a person. Like, there are these lines, um, Who cares, it's all equally gorgeous. And last night, a lunar eclipse, immaculate, white moving in and out of a rusty red rind. I pulled a sheet of plexiglass over the hole in the roof so I could watch it from inside the boat, the boat from which we ride the sky. So who knows where she really is. Um, she's There's this hole in the roof, but she's inside the boat um, riding the sky. Wow, so. so she's moving in and around. It's, yeah, it's kind of surreal. Um, but she's also talking to this person emphatically and she's saying nothing can go wrong do you understand nothing can ever go wrong this is what happens when you cease your management and I actually think this uh, these two lines are kind of the crux of the poem Mm. um, about ceasing your management and like sort of letting the exuberance of life take over Um, and it kind of connects to the ending where she says um, it's almost as if none of this has ever happened. It just shines, then gets enclosed in an envelope decorated with faded blue stamps from the Belgian Congo. It's such a relief when tears come from the cold. Like yesterday, on River Street, all the men lined up in their idling cars by the power plant. What are they waiting for? With all due hum- humility, I have to say, I know it now, or it knows me. The peace feeling that stays even as the body races and pants above or along it, when the team suddenly does a jazz square in unison, when a dream repeals an impediment overnight, when the whole world, the whole world is strobing. Whoa. (laughs) The whole world is strobing. The whole world is strobing. I just, I love that. That's really, that's like why I love this poem. That line is just crazy. That is crazy. It's, it seems like I'll just do like, my standard this is a Buddhist poem thing <laughs> all poems are Buddhist poems but it, it reminds me a little bit especially that little couplet about this is what happens when you cease your mm-hmm. management um, and the peace feeling yeah and the, the whole world so everything kind of coming 
coming together and being one. Yeah. Um, not that that's necessarily limited to Buddhist philosophy, but right. it reminds me a little bit of something um, a teacher was saying the other week, quote by this guy called Jack Cornfield, and he says, relax, nothing is under control, mm. which I thought was really lovely, but it like there seems like there's a lot of chaos at the end of that poem too, but she's just like it's such a relief yeah she's she's in peace she's loving it with this jazz square in in unison yeah you know um yeah it is and there's so much going on there's the envelope from the belgian congo there's the tears coming from the cold the men lined up on river street there's it's almost like and I say this because we're reading Whitman now, but it's like this Whitmanian like collection of different images and people and all kind of juxtaposed. Yeah, I mean, God, faded blue stamps in the Belgian Congo, River Street. Above that, you've got Midtown Manhattan, right. which is such a like conglomeration of everything. Right. Um, yeah, it is very Whitmanian in that kind of. I mean, she's only referencing things dotted here and there but it kind of comes together to yeah. form a whole yeah it's just pulling different you know and I I haven't really done a close reading of this like I don't really know what where mm. her I haven't thought about where exactly her path is but it works for me emotionally really well like yeah. all these different images yeah that's kind of the conclusion that that Trisha came to when we were looking at green was like to do a close reading might also might almost take away yeah from the i mean this this might be a better candidate but it's sort of like appreciating it on that just immediate emotional level is is also really worthwhile totally and that's i think that's what that's why i like this poem so much is that it's really effective viscerally Mm. it's just you really feel it Mm. Why do you think it's the mute story of November? That's a great question. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's a line. Um, so maybe we can read that part and just contextualize it a little bit. But um, it's right after this is what happens when you cease your management. The mm. blue and gold of the morning just appear on the sidewalk. Ongoing drift of garbage. A tire is good to sit in. A window pane may flake in the wind. The mute story of November. I don't even have to steal your words. You give them to me for free. So I feel like it kind of ties into the peace feeling and the um, sort of acceptance that uh, she's displaying here. Like she's kind of resigned to everything that's happening in this uh November, like the blue and gold of the morning is fine. There's a drift of garbage. It's good to sit in a tire. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. What is that line? It's all equally gorgeous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I feel like it gets a little bit more manic at the end Mm. when everything's kind of building up and all of a sudden the whole world is strobing, which is like actually totally different than the mute story of November. Yeah, it. Yeah, it's sort of... Well, I suppose strobing doesn't necessarily suggest sound, but it's a very kind of frenetic movement, whereas muteness to me is 
I guess is a stillness. Something could be muted, like a color could be muted. Mm. And I picture strobing as like this mm. crazy light bouncing yeah. off everything. Yeah, there's a real harshness to that yeah. image. To me, mute and November go beautifully together as words. Um, yes. This is like kind of maybe a bit of a synesthesia thing, but like November is like the word itself seems to have some mm. kind of quietness in it yeah um, definitely it's kind of a closed sound yeah 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 maybe that's it um it's a great title and it's I, I love that it's a story but it's not actually telling a story it's kind of just a collage of snippets um from her life and some of them are seem to be very real and some of them are surreal and they all come together um but it's it's telling the story Mm. it's the kind of poem though that um i think i'm sure i've tried to write poems like this i'm sure many people have and um there are all these poems that are really uh, all these images that are like really important to you yeah and they don't always translate to readers yes I was actually at this reading last night hmm. and uh, this man got up and read, it was three minutes each, I swear to God he read for 15 minutes <laughs> and it was a poem a lot like this in, in that it was images kind of layered on top of one another mm-hmm. and they were obviously deeply significant to him because he was crying mm. at, at certain points and it was it was almost hard to listen to but at the same time I was sort of sitting there in the audience going, but but I don't know why, right. why is this so sad? Right. <laughs> like I was confused. And maybe if I was reading it on the page, it would be different because I'd have more time. Mm. Um, but but I, there's a yeah. real like genius to being able to write something like that and actually get something out of it. That's what I, I always wonder with Maggie Nelson because her poetry to me seems so pedestrian mm. a lot of the time. Like it, I always read it and I'm like, I, I want to sit down and write poetry now because I could write something just like that. And of course I can't. Mm. Um, and so I always wonder what are the phrases or what are the moments where she's um, complicating something mm. or um, like making something universal or, mm. you know, all of these things that are surprising or like interesting turns that make it poetry to us. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's this, this crazy part, my heart just can't break anymore, now that it has changed substance, is full of fluid and fire and air and turning like a little wheel in its broth. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) It's like, it's so strange and, um, but at the same time you understand what she's saying. Yeah. But that could that could have gone um, kind of wrong. My heart just can't break anymore. Yeah. If you hadn't done something with that, yeah, that was as interesting as is full of fluid and fire and air turning like a little wheel in its broth. Um, yeah, she's taken something that's very like almost saccharine, like a mm-hmm. little bit cliche. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it can. And, yeah, and 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 just taken it to this whole other level. So. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the work. Yes. So yeah. how did you, um, did you study Maggie Nelson or is she someone that you just came across? Came across her, um, I read 
think I read something bright than holes in high school and forgot about it promptly. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up reading, um, I read, uh, bluettes, oh, yeah. which is a work she wrote, uh, entirely about the color blue. Oh, okay. And of course it's about a lot of other things, but it's every vignette comes back to the color blue and it's fascinating. Um, and then I read Argonauts after that. Yeah. I really want to read Argonauts now. Yeah. Sounds fascinating. Borrow it. Sweet. <laughs> Um, and you see, you were saying before that you did study poetry at uni as well. Yes, I did. And so what do you, at, I'm, I'm wondering what one studies at an American uni when you study mm. poetry, like who are you given to read? Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I went to college and studied English, um, not creative writing, mm-hmm. um, and read everyone from Jane Austen to the American modernist poets to, you know, all, prose and poetry and uh, kind of every a uh, survey of everything. And then when I started taking creative writing classes, we were reading primarily contemporary poets. Um, so we read Anne Carson, we read a lot of different contemporary poets, um, and it was all kind of in service of like a particular mode or a particular like device okay um so i i feel like my classes in creative writing were a lot less focused on reading poetry mm. and a lot more focused on writing yeah poetry which i kind of regret or don't like in retrospect because yeah, yeah, yeah. i feel like a huge part of learning to write is reading yeah well it's it's i think it's got to be equal yeah. If you go too far towards one or the other. Right. But definitely if you go too far towards just writing. Just it. writing. I mean, I feel like I fell into a lot of bad habits in college. Um, and then I ended up doing an independent study where I read, like, exactly who I wanted to read. So mm-hmm. I was reading, like, all over the map, uh, Ginsburg and Plath. And um, I read a lot of Ann Carson. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that I read a lot yeah. for. Um, yeah, something that my professors in college asked me to do, which I've continued to do, is, like, handwriting other people's poems. Yeah, yeah. And memorizing them that way, which is, like, the most useful tool in learning to write poetry I think I've ever had. I find that so illuminating. Like, Mm -hmm. even just to feel where they've ended up putting their line breaks. Yes. Um... And probably they haven't written handwritten their poems. Probably they're writing them in word mm-hmm. processes. But you have to like see that decision unfold, kind mm-hmm. of letter by letter. Yeah. And it's yeah, feel it with your feel it physically. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really it teaches you a lot. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Were there things like did you have to sit around a table and like critique each other's work and stuff yeah so we, that was most of what we did was workshopping that sounds just so painful <laughs> yeah. have, you, yes. have you ever seen the twitter account guy in your mfa yes oh my god that, i imagine it's just it's like awful. that yeah I, I mean it was undergrad so i think less people were still pretty insecure <laughs> so, so that was helpful for that but yeah um sometimes it was so painful it was, would not go back to doing that yeah is it like painful to be on the receiving end or just yeah it was painful to be on the receiving end and it was also very hard to give I think it's one of the hardest things is to give constructive critique yeah um and come at other people's work from a place 
where you're not trying to make it into your own work or something that you would write mm. where you're trying to make it the best work that they could help them create the best poem they can um, yeah. It's, yeah so something that I liked that we would do in the first workshop I took was um, we would just point out the crux of the poem for every poem that we workshopped and then we would I think have some critiques after that but just the act of like identifying like if you wrote a poem and then getting back 10 copies that identify the crux and maybe it's in different places so you know that it's not clear or that's a really good idea it was very objective and useful because it wasn't like a comment on any kind of like structure or anything it was just like they either got it or they didn't yeah that makes a lot of sense Yeah, yeah it's a good technique Mm. And so now you're working out ways to keep poetry in your life, one of them being yeah. doing the Coursera course. Doing Mod yes. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. that's the reading part. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Finding time to write, though, is just, I mean, I don't know if you so find it hard. hard. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's so hard. Yeah. I've been writing at work a lot. I used, to do that. <laughs> I used to get to work an hour early. Yeah, yeah. And then this guy in my office started getting to work an hour early too. And you could just tell, like, we we were, like, really good workmates, but we both were just like, uh, really? You're here yeah. too. Oh, good. What was he doing? Was he writing? He was um, working? working on a secret project. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. He was working You guys never talked about it? Well, it was, it's weird because it's, like, 7 a.m., so yeah. you don't really have your social face on yet. Right. It's like... You're not ready. You don't want to really acknowledge <laughs> the other ones there. I, he never really asked what I was doing either. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, I derailed you. So you've been writing at work? So I've been writing at work. Yeah, so yeah. I'll leave work for an hour. And then I try to get up early. But honestly, my brain is just not ready for poetry yet a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. I find that so hard. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, I think, like the right time to write mm. for me. A lot of people swear by the early morning thing and a lot of people try it and say that they were just, like their life was ruined because they just had gone no <laughs> That's sleep. That's kind of how I feel, like, yeah. or I just feel like I'm grumpy mm-hmm. and I'm not ready for it and I all I want to do is like have coffee and a bagel and like mm-hmm. read the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, that's good to know too because if you're trying to like shoehorn this routine mm-hmm. into your yeah. life it's something that can be like then you just don't want to write at all I know I think that, I think I do a lot of trying to like force things to be a certain way in mm. my writing life and I'm trying to do less mm. more of the let it happen yeah. yeah but maybe balancing the let it happen with the keep writing well exactly because if you just like oh it'll happen when it happens mm-hmm. forever then it can be like <laughs> three right. years later you haven't written anything so mm-hmm. it is it's a strange mix of keeping yourself accountable without Torturing running yourself, yourself into the ground yeah i always think about um i don't know where i read this it's c.s lewis's um routine mm-hmm. was like it was so luxurious. Like, he would get up at, like, 8 and then have breakfast. Then he would write for, like, two hours. Then he would have lunch. And then he would just go for a walk. Yeah. So, like, in reality, he's really this incredible author who's, like, echoes through generations. is working for, like, two hours a day. Yeah. And I think that's actually not that uncommon. Like, yeah. I think writers who get up and do, you know, 9 to 3 even, it's really not. No. 
that's one thing. At least in that initial creative, like maybe when they're editing. But right. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't, I find it very hard to sit with my writing for longer than an hour at a yeah. time. An hour is, that's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good chunk of time. Yeah, power. absolutely. Yeah. If I get an hour, I'm lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And are you submitting stuff? Are you sending stuff out there? Um, I wish more. Yeah. It's really hard to find the time to do that when it's like, I, I always, if I find time, I'm going to be writing. Mm. That's, mm. you know, the main thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, and submissions is like this whole other kind of admin side where you're like, okay, yeah, what to be organized. Do you want to be? <laughs> what do you want to be like, um, you know, your buyer yeah. and like how much does it cost? And to make spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I had a spreadsheet going at one point. Yeah. Are you submitting stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's same. Like, yeah. I would like to be doing it more, but yeah. I would like to be writing more. Yeah. And I'd like to have better stuff to submit. Right. So. <laughs> it's that endless kind yeah, of. Yeah. But, um, I was definitely, uh, the last couple of years I've been, I've been sending out stuff way too early and way too often. Mm. And so this year I've tried to pull it way back. You know, yeah. Like, send out half as much stuff, but spend a bit more time. Right. Actually. But I think, in a way, I was doing it so much as a way of, like, not caring. Right. Because when the rejection comes back, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah that I wasn't any good anyway. Yeah. I knew that was bad. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All these defense time. mechanisms. <laughs> it's a complete waste of time. Well, I mean, I think it's good. I think um, I struggle with that, too, because on one hand, I want to let things marinate and become themselves. And then mm. also, I think that poetry and writing in general is meant to be shared. Yeah. And, what are you doing if you are just writing it and not showing it to anyone? So That's right. All you Emily Dickinsons Emily out Dickinson, there. Yeah. <laughs> your poems and your drawers. Yep. Get them out. Yep. I mean, they got out for her anyway, so. I, mm-hmm. I always think about that. I'm like, would she be okay with this? People <laughs> sitting around tables thinking about her dashes uh-huh. this hard? Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I suspect not, but who mm. knows? Cool. Well, in the tradition of Modpo, <laughs> final word on Maggie Nelson. <laughs> oh, Maggie Nelson, if you're out there, <laughs> teach me. Teach me your ways. <laughs> yeah, I think um, Maggie Nelson's just great to read for the heart. Like, she is such a connected uh, writer that you read her and you feel more connected to everyone in your life and uh, you at least I want to write the kinds of things that create that feeling for people so she's very inspirational.